0: Good evening. I'm Carrie Brower. I'm the Director of Art and Programs and the Chief Curator here at the Hershorn Museum, and I want to welcome you to a very special uh, Meet the Artist tonight with uh, Jonas Mikas, and I'm happy you could all be here tonight and, and came out for this, and Um, So it's really my pleasure tonight to introduce um, one of the most important uh, legendary figures in uh, avant-garde film uh, uh, anywhere, and that is Jonas Mikas, who we're very fortunate to have here tonight. Uh, Jonas's life is kind of something like uh, a movie itself. He was born in a small Lithuanian village, Um, He and his brother Adolphus were actually forced into a labor camp uh, during World War II um, where they escaped and were shuffled back and forth. They finally left in 1949 for New York where they became interested in cinema and began actually filming the city itself, almost in a way to try to become adjusted uh, to the city. And in a, in a way, those films became a kind of, of new type of cinema. I suppose you could call it a kind of cinema as, as a diary. And um, as Jonas has explained himself, he has said, I don't really make films, uh, I just keep filming. Um, Not only is he extremely well-known as a filmmaker and has broken new ground there, but he also has been a real champion of the avant-garde cinema uh, throughout his life and without it, we would have so few things in, in avant-garde film uh, without his, um, his help and, and his support. He was one of the uh, founders, of course, of the journal Film Culture, very very important to me, anyway, as, as I was uh, learning about cinema. Um, he taught Andy Warhol how to use uh, a film camera, and he was one of the visionary artists who helped fo- uh, found uh, the New York Anthology Film Archives along with people like Stan Brakhage and Peter Kubelka. He still serves, by the way, as the artistic director of the Anthology uh, Film Archives. And he's uh, a major force behind the preservation of film, which, as you all know, is quite threatened uh, uh, nowadays and really needs, we need to really preserve this medium. Uh, And also, uh, he's a well known uh, poet and published his first uh, volume of poetry at the age of 14, I believe. Um, He has made over 50 films. Uh, Including the well known reminiscences reminiscences of A Journey to Lithuania, and uh, a recent film installation called Dedication to Leger, which was a 24 hour installation at the Maya Stendhal Gallery in New York. Um, And last year he represented Lithuania uh, at the Venice uh, Biennale. Uh, So without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Jonas Mikas.
1: Good evening, good to have you all here. I have no idea what I'm going to do here. I thought there will be a film shown, I will introduce it and I will answer some questions. (laughs) But uh, now I discover that I am the sole entertainer so uh, I will entertain you my own way uh, in a way everything is entertained. I have nothing against entertainment. They say, oh, art, avant garde film, art, purity, purite, purity. No, everything that is under the sun has some function. Everything that is taking place around us is needed for somebody so what I will do you see some of you have seen some of my films Uh, but I do some other things as you just heard and you don't know much about that other part of me So maybe I will try to somehow show, uh, reveal, uh, share with you some of those other parts of myself Uh, in a limited kind of way. So I will start by reading a by reading something. I began in Lithuania as a poet, but to write poetry, you can write it really only in your own language, because language is a very subtle instrument, It's a very, very subtle. You cannot write poetry in an adopted language. I don't really know a case I do not really know a case. Paul Celan, I think he, uh, uh, he was, uh, had, uh, his German language was already in his childhood, so he could write in German. But there are no, no really good cases in poetry. There are some in prose, like Joseph Conrad, Paul, Polish, somebody who spent childhood in Poland, and then he ke- became an English so <clears throat> when what I am going to read is not poetry. I write letters. I write letters to my friends. and I will maybe read some of those letters. <clears throat> End of the year, letter to friends. 11.30 at night this 23rd of December tomorrow my birthday message from Stan Stan bracket. message from Stan on phone cancer is terminal that's what they call it quote they quit gave up Cancer to spread. Doctors won't operate. Quote, closed. Message from Fred Camper Stan broke. No money to pay doctors, hospitals. Walked to Ontology. Snowing lightly. Paul Morrissey came. Leg stiff. Arthritis. Hopped up and down the stairs on one leg in a funny way. What else is bad? Eight Palestinians killed. Small type. Page 16. Last night we stayed till one in the morning. Anthology's Christmas party. Now it's late. The day gone by. Pip, Julius, Fabiano, drinking at Dempsey's, reviewing the year. Not thinking about the horrors, trying to be positive, but I am very skeptical about it all. The world is so bad, I mean the people, the whites, the Jews, the Muslims, Africans, Mexicans, Russians, all bad Bad, bad. I am innocent, I said last night. I only hurt some small animals as a child. But I have asked their forgiveness so many times now, so many times. I have even cried, remembering what I did to baby crows, frogs. I think they have forgiven me. So I am innocent. I don't think I have done any real bad thing in my mature, grown-up life. I really feel so. I don't even know how to get angry or shout. It always shocked me. It shocks me when I hear high, angry, voices. No, no, no. I don't understand any of it. No, I don't. I don't. But tomorrow is my birthday, and I should feel more grown up, especially at my age. I should know more about the real ways of this world. But I don't. The world passed me by. I missed it. I only heard noise and I saw blood in newspapers and salesmen on TV selling things I have no use for. I only own two pairs of pants. Some shirts ran out of socks last week. So where am I? The ultimate failure according to the statistics and evaluations of real-life authorities in Terra Ano 2002, just before my birthday, which is tomorrow, same as Joseph Connells and Louise Bourgeois. Happy birthday, Joseph, and Cher Louise. Next day. We all had a lot of music, and dance, and wine, at anthology. And the Indians, the Utah nation came and blessed the avant-garde. They never did that for Hollywood. And the bear boy sang a Utah nation song in our honor, and the snow was still falling outside day after. Espresso with Raymond. More bad news. Robert hurt uh, just moved out of his bleaker street place. His leg hurts too much, cannot be operated, heart too weak, moved into a room with an elevator, now looking at a great uh, at looking at New York through a 20th floor window, a great view, he said. And Dodo is very, very depressed, she said, so on phone, very depressed. Quote, I know that I am because my little dog recognizes me, said Gertrude Stein. It's on my wall. That's that much for all the philosophy of being. <clears throat> Peter is in Brazil. He hates Christmas in Vienna. The shopping. And Piadam still doesn't drink. And Annette had three trips to hospital this year. She just called. Is back home, in a wheelchair broken leg. I wish you a better year, only one break, one trip to the hospital next year, not three, I said. No, 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 she said, don't say that. Next day, the snow melted. I spent three hours chipping ice from the sidewalk with Andy and Robert, broke the shower, My eyes are about to close, it's very late, but I refuse to sleep, go to the ice box, get some wine, wonder, I wonder where is Agnes and Brigitte and all three Dominiques and three Daniels, reading Sendrar. The mind is failing. Maybe I should watch TV. Maybe there is something with Clint Eastwood or Bruce Willis. Some action. Yes, some action. That's what I need right now. Next day, talk with Stan. Quote, I have accepted it. I am not worrying about it anymore. I am continuing my work now, scratching film with my nails and spit. I have no problems with dying at all, but it's hard for the children. Later. We played and danced into the morning at Anthology. All the lonely souls with no other place to go New Year's night. It was really quite amazing with all those musicians coming from the street out of the Lower East Side night. Our own free music Philharmonic sort of, we thought. And we all had a great time and at midnight we all went into the street and danced and played happily, not minding the cold at all. Yes, life is going on. Forget the utopias. Life is here and now. I suddenly wonder, where is Harmony tonight? Harmony Corinne. What crazy fantasies are fluttering around his amazing head? Sebastian just called from somewhere in China, somewhere near Burma, And Tibet. Quote, have you tried any dog meat yet? I asked. No, he said, and I'm not sure I will. You know how they kill the dogs here in the markets? In the bags with knives. They stab them in the bags and you will never hear a more terrible, bloody cry like that of the dog, dying, stabbed, bagged, helpless. I don't know how I managed to take it, he said. Next day, Pip came back, visited Stan in bed all the time, too weak. They, to- they told me I should self-hypnotize myself, said Stan, and face the cancer cells and kill them, which I did. I mean, it's no big deal for me to go into that kind of state. I have done it all my life, working on my films. So I faced them. I saw them, the cancer cells. And I saw they were so beautiful, I couldn't kill them. No, said Stan. Later, Peter calls from Vienna, just back from Brazil. They still kill Indians there. Even now, the gold diggers do, and then the diggers are killed by the gold merchants. I'm resigning from the human race, she said. So that's that. But this, this doesn't mean I'm giving up in what all those before me, before us, those who were Foolish like me and some of you of us believed in and worked hard to preserve in order that the city wouldn't be destroyed by gods. That is, as long as there is at least one who believes in the not believable, in short, in Poetry. <clears throat> Something from July
0: 1995.
1: Ah, the summers of New York. Adrenaline of 95 degrees, 100. Happy I walk the streets of New York, of the New World, panicking. About the next bill, on top of all the others, Banks, Fort Lee, and the Fluxus artists of last October, still not paid. I don't open Jackson McLough's letters. Ah, I need it all. It drives me mad and keeps me going. These debts and these constant emergencies threatening, each worse than the other. Since, uh, since winter 1953 on Avenue A Gallery East, not far where, I'm, where I met Lily. No, I didn't move far away, my friends, not far at all. And I tell you, we get used to it all, and it's just another heat, another day, and 95 degrees, and then maybe it goes up to 100, and everything seems to about to crash, or say melt. And Robert, even Robert seems to lose his cool. I wish he would eat some chocolate, but he's forbidden to do so. So we write some desperate, irrational letters and sit on phones, and I tell you, it's very, very bad. And we sleep horribly and sweat. It goes up to 105 and more, maybe 120. 120. Ah, no end to our summer heat. But that's adrenaline we need to live. It's our way of living, it seems. And if, uh, imagine, suddenly everything would get normal and uh, cool and suddenly no angry calls and threats to turn off electricity and phones and close the Fort Lee vault and NatWest three months behind payments by now. And what's her name calling for her $75 from four years ago? The heat would drop to maybe 70, and we would look around and listen in disgust. Ah, how normal, disgustingly normal, and how like everybody else's our lives have become, with no threats. And no crashes and no emergencies. And no crazy women coming to our door about the street lamps with no bulbs because we have no three dollars to buy them. Ah, uh, I like this heat. I think it's reaching 100. It's going up. I'm all excited. The rats are leaving the ship. They think it, all, it will sink. Ah, you little ratties, you don't know we are the super rats. Jack knew it, and no hurricanes will sink us. We are the flying Dutch rats of cinema. It's in our blood the disasters, shipwrecks, and super heats and constant sinkings. It's our very nature. So let's go to Sophie, Julius. Let's have a beer. Later we'll stop at Max Fish to see Gloria, who just shaved her head and put her hair in a jar of formaldehyde in a gallery, Ludlow Street, just a door from Gallery East, year 1953. She serves us beer for free, and we will play pool, maybe. It it hits you like a hot hair dryer, this heat, said Raymond. This is what Peter said, he continued, as we were driving in his happy Jeep through the 110 degrees of New York evening. He said, when the lemmings are marching towards their mass suicide, The avant-garde stays in the back. (laughs) And we laughed. Ah, Peter, we wish you would be here with us this evening. And P. Adams and Gozo, Eastman, Giuseppe, Herman, and Dodo Jinming. So be calm, be calm, dear friends. Be calm in the very eye. Of the storm. We do not budge. We enjoy the sweat. We like the scorching heat. We like when it's 100 and more. Go, heat. Go, go, go. Rise up and up and up. We are the junkies of the constant sinking. We are the flying Dutchmen. No, super rats of cinema. Go up, heat. Go. I am a film maker and a poet. I'm a huge image projector. I make up in my mind, or is it in my heart, Images all the time. We all do that. We are all image makers. We all make them all the time. And we send them. We project them into the minds and hearts of our contemporaries because according to the quantum mechanics and all old religions religious religion systems and all poets and billy holiday who is singing now on the radio as i'm writing this down on my old deluxe typewriter we are all connected no man is an island Some images I pick up from the real, quotation marks, world, and I film them. Some others come from much deeper, and I do not have any control of them. But since I know that I'm the camera and the projector at the same time, and my brothers and sisters, and the whole world, the whole humanity, and even this little dog that last night kept coming to me, trying to tell me something. Yes, the whole world is a huge screen, a huge receptor of these images. So I desperately try not to create images that... May move humanity in the wrong direction, because I know that my images are part of the collective dream of the future of all of us and Mother Earth. I am aware, I am aware, that my images must contribute, must help, to change what's happening in Palestine. My images must help Michio to keep his little farm alive and Gozo to write his poetry and to prevent my favorite old Irish bar from being replaced by a yuppie disco. (laughs) And tomorrow there will be another big oil spill and another war. I wonder, I wonder what the little dog last night wanted to tell me. It's this sense, this awareness, this anxiety that I am contemplating now as I am writing this down. I am contemplating all this in the middle of the information highway as I watch the ever-growing computer media technologies, the $100 million movies, and the art museum and gallery world that is getting bigger and bigger and more expensive and more expensive. But in these times of bigness, spectacular $100 million movie productions, I want to speak for the small, invisible acts of human spirit, so subtle, so small and fragile that they fade when brought out under the Klieg lights. I want to celebrate the small forms of art, the lyrical forms, the watercolor, etude, Sketch and arabesque and triolets and bagatelles and little songs. In the times when everybody wants to succeed and sell, I want to celebrate those who embrace social and daily failure to pursue the invisible, the personal. Things that bring no money and no bread and make no contemporary history, art history or any art hist- or any history. Somewhere in Tokyo, on a little side street, in the shadow of the big city, there is still Kuro running her tiny sake place where some 10, 12 people can sit, be together, drink, sing, talk, small enough to see each other's eyes. I am a microcosm, a DNA of humanity, where one human can still have a direct close contact with another in a ritual of being together. Somewhere not far from Orvieto, the family of Braccoloni still makes the same wine, Canaiola di Marta, ruby red wine, which Michelangelo used to drink. They make it exactly the same way as in the old days, just for themselves and a few friends. No big industry, no big money. I drank it, and I thought I understood Michelangelo for the first time. Yes, I'm straying away, straying away into the completely personal small where everything begins and ends. In the times of global village and information highway, humanity is crying for very private, silent places on the shores of quiet brooks with little insects buzzing all around happily and ah, all the flowers. And you sit there by yourself and have no plans and no thoughts. And you sit there and you feel you are in paradise. I see Piero della Francesca painting his angelic faces, projecting a vision of an ennobled humanity in the middle of the 100 years war, grinding the pebbles of his home village, making colors, his own colors, personal colors, creating fragments of paradise to which others could aspire, look, strive, dream. A little fragment of paradise on the face of Piero della Francesca Angel matters more than all the technological clatter and the drums of war. A cloud passing over gently touching the wing of Joseph Cornell's Angel's Wing gently, gently, that's what matters.